is great. And uh, welcome and good morning to you. And uh, let's see. Oh, one of the group from New York wanted one of these red hymnals. So just so you'll know, we let them take one. I guess they'd never seen one of those before. So uh, they'll get a blessing out of that. We're glad you're here and glad for those that are visiting with us. And um, boy, okay. Miss Harrison surely must have went back to the nursery or something. Let it go on. In the nursery? Okay. Yeah. I see this big empty spot back here. I say it's it's pretty glaring when somebody's missing over there. So, okay. Well, I just wanted to say we had a, a great conference, and I, and I really, really appreciated what you all did to make it a success and the work and labor you put in and and of course, two of the key ones are back. Or they're back there, still working this morning. And we had this beautiful flowers out there, and the entranceway, and that all looked great. And just everything went so well. I mean, it was a, it was a smooth run the whole way through. We didn't have a hitch that I know of, unless you didn't tell me about it. Everything go good. Everything went well in the kitchen. I think so. That's great, and I'm glad to hear that. And. Uh, I'm just glad. <laughs> I'm just glad. <laughs> so, see, Jan and Jeff are out of town, so they're uh, Ashley's babysitting for them this weekend. That's that's good too. Okay, we want <clears throat> to turn to Matthew chapter five. I'm going to continue on with what we've been studying here in the Sermon on the Mount. This um, chief of sermons that Jesus gave to his disciples. And it would seem at this juncture that we've arrived at some of the highest teaching that Jesus has even expressed in this sermon so far. And we mentioned earlier that it was, some have likened this to climbing a mountain. This sermon, each each one of these progressions just brought you ethically higher and higher to a greater and higher standard of living until we reach the peak, which is this passage we're going to um, look at today. Verses 43 to 48, right at the very end of the chapter, Matthew chapter 5. So let's read these verses. He says there, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. Now let's pray. Father, we do ask that you will direct and you'll guide throughout this message. We pray that as we look to your word, that you'll speak to our heart. For we know that out of our heart flow the issues of life. 
And if our heart be right before thee, then we'll have the blessings that you wish to bestow upon us. And then we'll act according to that which you have given us here in this, this sermon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And we, we've looked at these things that Jesus has taught. And we've arrived at a really a crucial point. We've arrived at one of those, um, what can be a life-changing place. He makes a real smooth transition from verse 42 into something that can be pretty difficult. And he makes the last of his expressions here, you have heard, but I say. This is the last one. You have heard, but I say unto you. These, this, these introductions to these various topics that he was dealing with. And in this topic here, he deals with his kingdom principle, as we've looked at other kingdom principles, of having a loving response when we've been cursed, when we've been hated, when we've had people despitefully use us, or as other translations would say, abuse us, or that he's persecuted, or we've been persecuted. And how we can respond in love and what that looks like when we do that. Now, he says there in the first verse, "Thou shalt, uh, you have heard that it has been said. <clears throat> and we, we addressed that issue earlier. Where did they hear such things? Well, as we recognize, they didn't carry a Bible with them to, to the synagogue. Otherwise, they'd have been, you know, they'd have been had their, they'd have had a huge load on their back trying to carry all those scrolls. It was only the scribes and the Pharisees, the rabbis, the teachers who had access to these scrolls. So when you went to the synagogue, you just sat and you listened, and you didn't have a Bible to look at. And so everything they got, they heard. They weren't able to carry a Bible home with them to memorize scripture. They got what they heard the rabbis teach. And as a part of this teaching, this is what Jesus has been going through here in the Sermon on the Mount on these various topics about being reconciled to your brother and, and adultery and loving your enemies and taking oaths and all these things that we've discussed. He tells them, you, you've heard this said, but this is what I'm going to say to you. <clears throat> and so he says to them, love your enemy. Verse 44. Love your enemy. And that was something new. Not because the Old Testament taught it, but because that's what they had heard. Now, he quotes from the Old Testament, Thou shalt love thy neighbor. 
And if we turn back to Deuteronomy, excuse me, chapter 6 and verse 5. Well, before we do that, let's go to Leviticus. That's where he's actually quoting from. And then we'll go over to Deuteronomy for a moment. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18. We'll note a distinction here because, and we'll see how what the scribes and the Pharisees taught became corrupted from what God actually said. In 1918, he says, Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Now, if, if you flip back over to Matthew 5, you'll see that he says there in verse 43, Thou shalt love thy neighbor. He leaves off as thyself. And it wasn't because Jesus didn't believe that, or it was because he's quoting what the rabbis taught, what the scribes taught when the people went to the synagogues to hear the preaching and teaching of God's word. And then he also says, and hate thine enemy. Well, you looked long and hard to find any commandment in the Decalogue that says, or in the Pentateuch period that says, hate your enemy, because it simply isn't there. Now, go ahead and turn over then to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. Here we have this well-known passage. In verse 5, verse 4 is the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. That's the focal point. It's not just that it was in your mind, that you knew what the Word of God said, but that you had it in your heart. It becomes a part of your life to love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your might. Now turn over, you can leave there, turn over to Matthew chapter 22 for a minute then. Matthew chapter 22 And we'll go to verse 36. And I want us to see what he says here. Because he connects Luke, or excuse me, Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 6. Jesus connects those here in this passage. In verse 36, the disciple. Uh, one of the, uh, a lawyer rather, not a disciple, came to him and asked a question. It says, tempting him, saying, Master, in verse 36, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. That is, Not the first one given, but the first in order of priority. The greatest commandment given 
Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. But then he says, the second one. Now, he didn't ask about the second one, the lawyer, but Jesus gave it to him. He said, the second one's just like it. Because he says in verse uh, 39, the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, it takes a little while to just sit there and allow that to soak in. To meditate on what this means. To love God with all your heart and your soul and your mind is born out in loving your neighbor. And it's loving your neighbor the same way you love yourself. Now, the real question for us is, is have we thought that through to the point where we have committed ourselves to actually practice that? Love your neighbor as yourself. That's an interesting word, neighbor, too. You know, it just means somebody who's near nearby to you. And I, I read this, I never even thought about this before, but neighbor, you break it down, it's nigh, bore, near to, a neighbor. Whoever is near to you, it doesn't mean the guy that lives next door to you, as we use the word commonly, our neighbor or our neighbors or those who live within a, a certain distance. But it means whoever is near to us at an, any given time. In a given situation, how are we to live out our life before that person? And he tells us in verse 40, on these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. All of it can be summed up in how we treat other people. How we love our neighbor. Now, <clears throat> turn over to Romans chapter 13. Paul uses this same, same expression in verse 8, beginning in verse 8. Something you're familiar with here. Owe no man anything, he says, but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Well, that's an interesting statement. It's that This lines right up with what Jesus said. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And Paul says, if you love another, you fulfill the law. You have kept it. And this is the way that we can keep the law. Now, of course, there are outworkings of this love. And that's what Jesus has been teaching us throughout this sermon. How we express our love to another person. Now, notice what he says in verse 9. He says, for this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, any other commandment, 
it is briefly comprehended or summed up or brought to a head in this saying. Namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Turn with me over to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Verse 8. He says, If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. And so he's making a simple point by using this verse to tell us that if we value one person over another, or if we, as we've mentioned before, what this word respect, if we give regard to the face, that's what it literally means. So that if a person walks in, or let's just say two people walk in, and we are recognizing a certain individual because of the face. We know who they are. And we give preferential treatment to that person. He says, you violated the royal law. You're not loving that person as you would love yourself. You treat them equally without respect to the, to the face. And so back here in Matthew chapter 5... And, of course, James undoubtedly heard this sermon, very likely that he did. He was sitting there learning all these things. As a matter of fact, I think I mentioned that some say that the book of James is, you know, just nothing but a parallel of the Sermon on the Mount, these ethical teachings of the Lord Jesus. And so this, this expression, thou shalt love thy neighbor... And hate thine enemy, we find to be false. Jesus says, rather, love your enemies. How would you do that then? If we are to give full expression to the law by loving our enemies, then what are we going to do? How are we going to do this? Well, you know, over in Exodus chapter 20, we could look over there in the Ten Commandments and we would find those things that Paul quoted there. And, you know, and summing all of those up, he's just simply saying, you can keep the commandments by simply loving your neighbor. Carrying it out to the full. And of course, the Lord Jesus is hes just telling us here, we can do this. You know, we've, I think we discussed this at the beginning of these, this series that so many look upon the Sermon on the Mount and they say, well, this is impossible. Who can actually do this? And you know what they do? They just write it off and say, well, that's, that's for the millennial kingdom. You, you know, we, we, can't, we can't, these are ideals. It's good moral things, good teachings, but we, we really can't do this till the millennial kingdom actually gets here. But I, I want to submit to you that this is how we are to act and conduct ourselves now. 
And it's by means of the power of God's spirit that enables us to love just the way he says we're to love. And so in this little expression here, love your neighbor but hate your enemy, the Jewish religious leadership blatantly misrepresented for their own selfish ends God's intent, his motive in the teaching of the law and the keeping of the commandments to love our neighbor. So let's take a look at it a little more deeply because we've got to ask ourselves, well, of course, the big question is then, well, who is my enemy? Is it the guy that's taking a swing at me or aiming his gun at me or, you know, Who is my enemy? Because this is what the rabbis and the scribes and so on had done. They found ways, as as, as we find in many of the scriptures that Jesus dealt with here and the teachings on these things, that they felt uh, found ways around the strictness of the law to justify their actions. And this happens to be one of them. They found ways to give vengeful treatment to their enemy. And, of course, that's exactly what Jesus calls us not to do, to go tit for tat. I'll get back even with you. May not do it today, but you just wait. Your day's coming. That's the kind of attitude that Jesus is seeking to put down here. And so he says here then, our enemy. Well, basically, the world the flesh, and the devil, John tells us, are all working against us. The flesh gets in the way. The flesh can be our enemy simply because of other people, whether it's jealousy towards towards us or whether they have guilt feelings towards us uh, or they have other issues, you know, like theological issues, geographical issues, racial issues or political or, you know, whatever it might be, ideological issues, or they might even just be angry at God or somebody else, but they take it out on you. And the question then is, is how do we respond to that? Matter of fact, you might even be friends with somebody. These are just some real, real life situations. You know, you're friends with somebody and you develop a close relationship, and then maybe over here, you know, God brings somebody else into your life, and you develop a friendship with them, and all of a sudden, they're jealous over here because of your new, newfound friend. It's, it's how you and I handle such situations like that that determines whether we're actually expressing love. The devil. The devil can bring enemies into our life. As a matter of fact, he may plant somebody in our life on purpose. You remember, just turn a few pages over to the right there in Matthew. You remember the kingdom parables? You remember the sowing of the seed? You remember the sowing of the tares? You remember who Jesus said planted those tares? Verse 39. In verse 38, he says, The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom. 
But the tares are the children or the sons of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. He does it. He sows enemies that stand in our way. Now, the interesting thing is the Lord said, don't pull them up, leave them be till the end of the age. And then I'll deal with it. You know what that means for us? That means we're in this for the long haul. This means we're dealing, we may have to deal with an enemy for the rest of our life. And the principles that the Lord lays down regarding those people or that enemy or whoever it may be means then that there is a way for us to handle that situation. And he tells us that the key to it is love. To love that enemy. So it might even be the Lord himself. Not that he's the enemy, but he might put somebody in our path for the purpose of testing us to see where we are. You know, he did that once. If you turn back to Second Chronicles chapter 32, I know you, you, you know this passage, Second Chronicles 32, dealing with Hezekiah. And look there at verse, uh, what was it? Verse 31. Yeah, Hez, uh, Hezekiah, I was about ready to say it. Second Chronicles 32 and verse 31. Now, we'll just skip all the context there. It's, I think you know it well enough. Beginning with verse 31, he says, How be it in the business of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, who sent unto him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, God left him. This is Hezekiah he's talking about. To try him that he might know all that was in his heart. So it may be that God has put someone in our path to try us. Just to see where we are. To see if we are walking as a true disciple of Christ. And if we are being obedient to the things he's commanded us to do. So love our enemies. Well, how are we going to love an enemy? Well, the first precept he gives us there in verse 44, he says, bless them. Bless them. Now, there are different Greek words used to translate bless. In this particular situation, it's the word where we get our English word eulogy, which we typically hear at a funeral. But the word eulogy means to speak well. Of someone, I read an incident once about a guy down in Alabama who was giving a eulogy, and he didn't speak so well. As a matter of fact, he got some family members upset. They came up to punch him out. He, he was not speaking well. He was not giving a true eulogy. A eulogy means speaking well. And when he says, bless them, your enemies, our response, he says, is to speak well. Of them. It means you don't go running off telling somebody else what so and so just did to you or said to you. And if you are going to say something, speak well of them. 
The second thing he says later on in the verse, he says, pray for them, which despitefully use you. They reproach you. They revile you or they abuse you. I think I like that word about as well as any to talk with or to to speak with what he's trying to tell us here. Abusing. Pray for him. You pray for your enemies. Um, <clears throat> look at First Peter chapter two. We'll look up a couple of passages here. And we do have enemies. We do have enemies. First Peter chapter two, verses twenty-one to twenty-four. He says there, for even hereunto uh, here were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, a written copy. Jesus left us a traced out copy. That's what the word means there, an example that you should follow his steps. Well, what did he do? How were we to follow him? Well, it says, who did no sin... Neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. Now that's hard to do. Somebody says something against you not to turn around and say something right back. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Wow. Wow. Then if you'll turn over just to pay, well, now in my Bible, you don't even have to turn over, just chapter 3 and verse 9. He says, they're not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. Well, we find the key here to inheriting is having the proper response to those that are against us. If you'll look back at Romans chapter 12 and verses 20 and 21. This, is, this was Peter teaching. Now we got Paul teaching here. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 20 and 21, he says, If thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome. It's our word, Nike, or kids would more readily understand it as Nike, the Nike shoes. You know, they didn't choose that word without having thought it through. It means to be a victor, to be an overcomer. Just like in athletics, we overcome. And he's telling us here, don't allow evil to overcome you, but rather you overcome evil with good. And then one last one, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 12. 1 Corinthians 4, 12. Where Paul again says to the church at Corinth, he says, And labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, 
Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being persecuted, we suffer it. He just let it happen. He didn't strike back. He didn't try to get even. He didn't try to put them down. He just simply accepted it. And he blessed when he was reviled or spoken against. And believe me, when he met up with the Jews on his journeys, he was reviled in a severe way. Now, when he says love your enemies, he's not telling us we have to have personal affection for them. That's not the kind of thing he's talking about, that we get all weak and you know, goo goo gaga over somebody that's our enemy. As a matter of fact, the feelings we have for that person are not going to go away. They're going to stay. In other words, you've been hurt and you feel what they've done or said very deeply. That's going to stay there. It's not going away. So how do you love them then? Well, it's because the word used here is that highest of all Greek words of love. Now, we're, we're hurt in English. English just doesn't have it for the word love. We just have the one word. And you have to know from context, you have to know from nuances of being with a person when they say something about love or you express love, you know, you got to kind of, mm, okay, just exactly how do you mean love here? What are we talking about? And, you know, you kind of figure it all out. Well, in Greek, you didn't have to do that because they had at least three, four different words that we translate as love. And the highest of those, that agape love, which you've heard, is what he's speaking of here. And agape love, as, as you, I think you well understand, is not that love of feeling and personal affection. It begins up here, right up there. It's something we choose to do. It's something we act upon. We rationally think it out, and then we do it. Now, I have trouble making those connections sometimes. And my wife would say, well, just, just say, just do it. You know, I said, but I don't, the feeling's not there. Well, you know, it took a while to learn. The feeling doesn't have to be there. You just do it because you know it's the right thing to do. You do it because that's what God told you to do. And as a good slave of his, we will obey our master because we are his slaves and he is our master. And we choose to do those things because we choose to please our master, not because we feel like pleasing our master. And I think we did enough study on the slave in the scriptures earlier this year to know that a slave didn't matter to the master how he felt about it. If he said, fix my dinner, then the slave fixed his dinner. And he chose to obey his master. It didn't matter how he felt about it. And that's what he's expecting of us here. When we are abused and mistreated, persecuted, or whatever the case may be, 
our response that he expects of us is to do it not how we initially feel here, not with those feelings of anger and resentment and whatever, get back, get even, you know, with all that stuff that happens to us inside. That's, that's not how we respond. You know, we, we think it out right there. And then we make the godly choice and do what he told us to do. You don't let it sit there and fester either and grow where bitterness begins to well up inside of us because that's what will happen if we don't do it. As a matter of fact, that's how some people will handle that. They'll just deny that it ever happened. How many times have you heard stories of young children being abused by adults? And they said, well, I just thought if I was a better person, they wouldn't do that to me. And even adults do that. Even spouses will do that. If I was a better husband, if I was a better wife, then they wouldn't say those things to me or do these things or whatever. And we just kind of, you know, push it down and try to cover it up and then go on. When the proper response, he tells us here, is with the mind, react to that in the godly way and make our choice intentional, on purpose, not out of a, you know, a gut reaction, a feeling reaction kind of a thing. Um, where does that choice take place? In the mind. What did Jesus say was the first and greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Those three are all connected together. So it begins in the mind, but it has to travel downward to our heart. And if we make those conscientious choices to respond in the right way, then eventually it'll take over. And our hearts then will do the thing that is pleasing to God in making the right response. Now, we say all of these things, and we're looking at all these things for a simple reason. We've already expressed it because God told us to. Jesus is telling his disciples that if you want to participate in my kingdom, this one that he came announcing to the nation of Israel that they ultimately turned away and rejected, if you want part and parcel in my kingdom, then this is how I expect you to act as one of my followers. And when you're dealing with people who are abusing you and cursing at you and reviling you, the way you deal with that person and loving them and forgiving them is don't go up to them and say, I'm praying for you, brother. (laughs) That's not how you handle it. 
Because what you're all you're trying to do in a nice, kindly, spiritual way is just throw it back on them. And that's not what he's telling us here to do. That's not how you handle it. When you work to revile a person or get revenge, or if we use the stronger word, you hate them back, because Jesus says here, well, he's, he's telling us you don't hate your enemy, which is what the Jewish religious leaders were doing. You don't get back at them by hating them. When you hate, when you seek revenge, when your heart's desire is to get even, then you have surrendered yourself to that other person and you've given them the power over you. The way you gain the upper hand and you live above the turmoil is to love them to speak well of them, to pray for them. Now, you don't pray, God, take them out. (laughs) Now, I know David did that in the Psalms, what we call the imprecatory Psalms. He said, Lord, basically he's just saying, out with them, put them down. But Jesus has given us a new, higher standard. And that standard is, Pray for them, and when you pray, speak well. Pray well for the person. Turn over to Luke chapter 23 thought it was interesting uh, someone brought out here you know Jesus he's on the cross dying and Jesus says their father forgive them for they know not what they do father forgive them for they know not what they do here were the religious leaders of the nation putting to death the one who came to save them And he doesn't say here, I forgive you. He appeals to our Heavenly Father and asks the Father to forgive them. Now think that one through. He tells our Heavenly Father, you forgive them, Father. And you know what you're doing then? If you ask the Father to forgive, that means... Our Heavenly Father, when he hears our prayer, he now has the freedom to come over here and bless that person. Is that what you want for your enemy? For God to bless him? That's the natural reaction for most of us is, no. (laughs) We pray for him, but we want God to do him in. We want something bad to happen. We want to get even. No, praying for them means that God may bless them. And you're going to look upon that one who has been blessed and wonder what in the world is going on here. I've just suffered all this abuse and now they're receiving all this blessing from God. Because you had the willingness 
to pray and ask God to forgive them. Why? Because they don't know what they do. They don't realize all the false accusations. And, you know, put, go back to Matthew chapter 5. You put all this back into perspective here. Jesus is setting his disciples up for what's to come. That if you are going to follow me, then this is what's going to happen to you. You are going to be abused and treated shamefully and hated for my name's sake and all these other things. Cursed. You know what curse here means? It just means what we mean in English. It means to call down evil upon you or as we just mentioned about David in the Psalms, to imprecate upon you, to call down bad things to happen because they don't like you. They don't like what you stand for. Now think about all that. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ laying down principles for his kingdom. You would think that people would naturally aspire to such things and want them and want to be a part of that and do the good. But not all do. As a matter of fact, very few actually do. Even those who go by the name Christian don't actually act this way. Nor do they even want to. As a matter of fact, this hurling of abuse and cursing and all this that the Lord is talking about, it doesn't come from out there in the world. It usually comes from within. And it comes against the very one who is trying to live in a manner that's pleasing to God. And you're the one that suffers the abuse. That just doesn't seem right. Well, it's what we have till the end of this age. Because the tares are going to be mixed in with the wheat all the way to the end of the age. It's going to be a lifelong endeavor. And so this principle then of living by the principle of love, which, by the way, is the one that will win you over to the, God's kingdom. This is the principle. I look at it like a, a maypole, you know. You got a maypole and you got all these things hanging down here. Love is right up here. Everything else revolves around that. Everything else revolves around this love. Then last... And this will be just an introduction to what we'll talk about next week. He says that ye may be the children of your father, which is in heaven. I'm not going to go any farther than that right now. Simply to end this by saying, I have a note here in my Bible. And I'm going to read it to you the way I had it. And then I'm going to read it to you the way I changed it. I put down there, this is years ago. I don't remember how long, but quite a few years ago. I wrote down there, doing these things. That is, praying for your enemies, blessing them, and so on. Doing these things results in a believer becoming a son of God. With an exclamation mark behind it. Well, you know that's wrong. You don't become a son of God as a result of doing these things. You are a son of God. It is, you are showing yourself as a son that happens. So what I did was I just added in here. I said, doing these things results in a believer 
becoming known as a son of God. A true son indeed. In other words, a son indeed. It's just like anyone else. You have a natural born son. And they fight and rebel and disrespect you and go against you in every possible way. Whereas you have another son who's obedient. He listens to his father and his mother and he does all them good things. And you say, well, I have two sons, but this, this is the real son. This is the one who is the true son. He shows himself in his character to be a true son. And that's what the Lord is saying to us here. You do these things so that you will be shown forth as a true son, a son indeed. So do our actions have any consequences? Is how we respond to our enemies meaningful? Sure is. Because according to Jesus here, it can mean the difference between participation in the kingdom or not inheriting the kingdom. Makes all the difference in the world. So I urge us, not that we change corporately here, because we have a lot of love flowing through here, lots of it, and I see it happen regularly. But what I'm talking about here would be more on an individual basis, because only you know what's going on in your heart. Only you know how you're treating those who are against you or abusing you or despitefully using you, as the King James says, and make the appropriate change. Seek to live by this higher principle of love, and you'll have the blessing of Jesus Christ upon your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... We thank you this morning for this privilege of knowing our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the knowledge of your word that you've given to us. Lord, I pray that as we walk before you, as we consider these principles, that we will seek to submit ourselves to them, that we will acknowledge you as Master and Lord of our life, that our hearts would be tender, malleable, open to what you have to teach us. And Lord, when you put us to the test, give us the grace and the strength to pass the test, to be an overcomer, and to overcome that evil with good. In Jesus' name we ask you these things. Amen.